0: Invite you to take your Bibles this morning as we conclude our study here in Mark 13. I promise this, there's not going to be no part three. This is part two of this, this message, and we will conclude it together this morning as we wrap up Mark chapter 13, uh, this all of it discourse, uh, as it's known. So if you uh, find your way uh, in your Bible to Mark chapter 13, if you're using a Pew Bible, it's on page 850. Uh, next week, uh, we'll, kinda, uh, we'll begin a break from the Gospel of Mark. We'll look at uh, a few passages in regard to giving thanks and thanksgiving. Uh, then in December, we're going to do some messages focused on the Gospel or Christ in the Old Testament, Christmas in the Old Testament for the month of December. And so we will make our way back here for the last uh, few chapters in Mark's Gospel uh, after the first of the year. So if you found your way to Mark chapter 13, let's pray together. Father, thank you again for Jesus. Thank you that it's because of him, Lord, that we can be here, that he is the reason why we gather. or to look around and see people from so many different backgrounds, so many different uh, communities or different age ranges and seasons of life. Why would we gather? It's because of the gospel. It's because of Christ. We've come because of Jesus. Because he is the ultimate leveler. (laughs) Lord, we are all laid bare before him and the foot of the cross. And it's only through him and through his cross that we can have salvation. We can have forgiveness of our sins. And thank you that we can come and to gather in such diversity. That we can be unified around him. Lord, we thank you. We pray this morning as we open up your word that you would use it. to Remind us of the truth of who you are and how you call us to live as your disciples. Pray in your son's name. Amen. Mark chapter 13. I'll read verses 24 through the end of the chapter. And we'll pick up in our second point, which begins in verse 28. But Let's read our full section this morning, starting in verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. In the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. We began last week with a illustration from my childhood of me waiting for my grandma, looking forward to her coming down the road. And as she was coming, or would be coming, my mom said, hey, why don't you help me get things ready? That's, that's a positive example of waiting and watching and being excited. As we look at these last two points in these last two paragraphs here in Mark 13, Jesus really brings home this point of staying awake, of, of vigilance. Jesus says in verses 24 through 28 that God's glory will be revealed in this coming of the Son of Man. We looked at the reference from Daniel 7, we read again this morning but that it would be known to all who would be there, who would be present. They would see these amazing signs in the heavens, and there would be Christ returning. But in verses 28 through 37, the the shift is to those who are called to wait, to, to be vigilant, to stay awake. And it reminds us of our big idea from this passage, is that the unknown timing of Christ's return calls us to watchful vigilance as we wait for him. It's our big idea from last week over this whole uh, three paragraphs here, that Christ's return is coming. We don't know when. It's an unknown timing, but we're called to watchful vigilance as we wait for him. These two paragraphs this morning that we're going to talk about really focus on the idea of not letting yourself be caught up or become distracted or, in the words of Jesus, falling asleep lacking in your duties now i was excited when i was young to have my grandma come but as i grew and as my mom trusted me more and more she would over the summer go into her classroom she was an elementary teacher and she worked for several hours in the morning and as school got closer in the fall she would work most of the day and she said you can stay at home you're old enough you're responsible i trust you You know how to, you know, make swans chicken patties in the oven or, you know, a microwave something or the other. My favorite were the old, like, Swanson, like, microwavable breakfast meals. (laughs) So much sodium and salt, but they were so good, you know, as like a 10, 11-year-old kid. Um, But she'd also say this. She goes, I have a list of jobs for you to do. It's on the kitchen table. Those need to be done before I come home. So as a kid, you get up, bowl of cereal, you know, maybe see if there's any cartoons on. All we had were like five channels back in the day. <laughs> uh, my parents wouldn't, wouldn't pay for cable or anything like that. So, okay, what, what was on or play or go outside, see if there are any friends out in the neighborhood. And then I'd come home or I, I'd make my way for lunch and then I'd chill out. And at about like 1.45 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I'd be like, there's something else I was supposed to be doing. Which is funny because my mom left me a list every day. It's not like it was a one, in, you know, didn't happen. That often it happened every day. And, and I knew she often got home around 2.30 or 3. So by about 1.45, I'd be like, oh, I got it. I, I got to get moving here. So I look at the list, you know, clean my room, switch to laundry, you know, uh, fold, fold laundry or w- whatever job she had for me. And I'm like, okay, I can get this done. Here I go. And I didn't know when she was going to be back. Sometimes she got home earlier and I got a talking to. Sometimes I'd get done and be like, well, now what? I wasted all that time, right? I could have uh, uh, procrastinated even more. <laughs> the idea was I, I, I lost sight of the fact that my mom was coming home and then it's like, oh, I have to do these things. I'm, I'm hurrying up or, or I'd forget about some things or I would forget about the list and then I would get in trouble. And I knew my mom was coming, I knew that she was coming home at some point during the afternoon. I didn't know when, and so it was, it was kind of me chancing, when was I going to start this list of doing what I was supposed to be doing, of doing my chores for the day? And if I didn't do them in time, there would be consequences. There would be punishment. I would lose privileges to certain things, or something that I wanted to happen wouldn't happen as a consequence. But as you think of my... Uh, uh, putting off my procrastination, my forgetting that my mom was coming. We can be like that as disciples of Christ. We can get so focused on maybe what we're doing here, we forget about that day when he returns, that our vigilance lacks, that we are not as watchful and on guard as we should be, or in a sense, we start to fall asleep. We want to stay awake, but... The pressures, the cares, the concerns, we forget, we fall asleep. But the call here is to be aware, to stay awake, to be vigilant, to be on guard. God's glory will be revealed as we looked at in verses 24 through 27. But now we see as Jesus makes these promises, we need to be on guard, to be vigilant, because Christ's words, the second point, will come to pass. They will come come to pass. What Christ is promising here, what he's foretelling, what he's prophesying will come to pass. So verses 28 to 31, Jesus says this, from the fig tree learn its lesson. So he's teaching here to his disciples again. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Jesus uses the fig tree as a lesson. Now some people think, is he talking about the same fig tree that he cursed? I don't think so. He's not talking about that specific fig tree or that specific cursing. I think he's using the fig tree as a general illustration because fig trees were very common. We don't see any necessarily correlation here between what Jesus says here and what he did before his entrance into the temple. The only thing that is the same is that it's Jesus speaking and that he's using the fig tree as an illustration. Um, It was common and well known to all of his hearers. So he says, From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and it puts out its leaf, you know that summer is near. The fig tree was one of the last trees or plants to really become green before summer. Other plants would be earlier, but the fig tree was the last one. And so you know that when the fig tree would uh, start to put out its shoot and become green and tender and new growth, that summer was truly near. Uh, It was coming, and so Jesus says, this is an illustration, it's an object lesson. Verse 29, so also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. There's some question here as, what is the reference to these things? And who is the he at the very gates? There's a lot of different thinking and a lot of different flow of thought, and it has a lot of implications and a lot of conclusions drawn from how you approach scripture, <coughs> Excuse me. what we understand as we look at this passage, I would take this to uh, refer to the statement directly in front of it by Jesus of the coming of the Son of Man. So the reference to these things are the sun and the moon not giving its light, or the heavens being shaken, and the angels gathering the elect. These things, we know that Jesus is near. He is at the very gates. He is, he's come back. So as you see these things, it's very clear. It's it's a sign that these things are happening, that the end is near. These things are taking place. Now comes a confusing statement. (laughs) There are times you read the Bible, and you can read a passage, and it's pretty plain to understand. And then there are a few passages that are a little bit more confusing. What do you mean by this, Jesus? How does this apply? What is he referring to? In terms of prophecy, sometimes there's a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. Uh, And so this is one of these statements that has a lot of questions about it. And I'm not hiding the fact and trying to tell you that I know that absolutely 100% this is exactly what it means because a lot of good godly men have, have thought through this and have come to different conclusions. But in verse 30, Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away, Until all these things take place. Truly I say to you, so it's a it's a point of emphasis. Verily, verily I say unto thee, the King James would say, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So if we understand the lesson of the fig tree and the coming of the Son of Man as something future, Jesus is saying this generation will not pass away. So what does he mean by this generation? Is he talking about the generation of the disciples? of the believers in the first century. If you would take that position, then the, point, then the point would be that, well, that doesn't agree because the Son of Man has not returned in all of his glory. So that would not work together. Some people take the understanding of these things and this generation not passing away to be the abomination of desolation or the destruction of the temple. Um, and different nuances approach to that. There's also a question here of how you translate the word generation. The word generation here also can be translated as race or ethnicity, ethnos. Uh, It's the idea of of a people group. And the term generation has been used to describe of a whole generation. Think of the Israelites in the wilderness, that generation, right? That group of people who were left to die in the wilderness and not entering into the promised land. Jesus has also said to the Pharisees and the other rulers, you wicked and perverse generation. But the reference to that is to really the grouping of people over several hundred years of continual lack of spiritual sensitivity, right? This wicked and perverse generation. It's more than just, as we would think, you know, people born between these 20 years, but it's it's really what the nation has become over a period of time. And so you can understand that term generation as something very specific or something much broader, a people group. Um, that uh, this generation will not pass away. And what then would be the referent to that? Some people claim that it would be all believers. That in a sense that believers will not pass away, not in the sense of dying, but will not be taken out, like taken out of Christ's hand or lose their salvation. Some believe that, that there is a faithful generation of Jews that will not pass away, that they will endure until all these things take place. To have a good idea necessarily of what this exactly means, I went back and forth and studied, and, and to be honest, it was frustrating Right, because like many of you, I want, okay, this is what this exactly means, right? But there's implications in other ways. I think this would be how I would lean, that this understanding of generation, it means people or a people group. Uh, Then these things uh, mentioned earlier in the verse, we refer to the events surrounding the second coming. Uh, So this generation, meaning faithful, followers of Christ, will not pass away until these things take place. Meaning that, uh, I'm how to put this here, that there will also be a faithful remnant, that evil will not win, that this faithful generation will not pass away until all these things take place. I know that's confusing to some of you, and I'm still working through it as well too. But we can trust the next phrase, which I think is really helpful in seeking to understand verse 30. Verse 31 Jesus says this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. My words will not pass away. So Jesus is couching this discussion of the coming of the Son of Man, and then this illustration of the fig tree that when you see these things, Christ is near, and, and understand this, that as he is coming, and as you see these things, they will come to pass. Heaven and earth will pass away, meaning there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth in eternity, but his words will not pass away. The promise of Jesus here is remarkable. Jesus makes clear that though there will be a new heaven and a new earth, his words will not change. And this is another statement made by Jesus that makes clear uh, that he understands who he is. Jesus understands that he is God, right? Because he's saying his words will last forever. You and I say a lot of things. After a generation or two, nobody's probably going to really remember what we say. Right? Maybe in a letter, some passed down, some famous people. And often over time, those words get, you know, mixed up. Remember the quote about Abraham Lincoln not believing what you read on the internet? Right? Words get mixed up over time. But with Christ, his words will always remain because they are the words of God. They will remain. Isaiah 40 verse 8. Isaiah prophesies and he says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. We can trust Christ and his word for his words are the very words of God. And as we look at this passage and this whole discussion of what's going to happen. We have questions, and in our own human curiosity, we want to know more. But we also need to understand, maybe in our human doubt, when we think, is this really going to happen? Yes, because Christ has foretold it, and his words will not pass away. And though we may not fully understand exactly how everything will, in a sense, shake out, Though we may doubt and though others may flat out deny these predictions, they are not dependent upon what we think, feel, or know. But rather they were spoken by Christ and they will come to pass. And I think that's important for us. Is that these things will come to pass. It's amazing having children of the age that I do, that if you say one thing in passing, they cling on to it like it's Jesus. We might go to the park later. So we're going to the park. I said we might, right? Or we might do this at the end of the week. And every day, we're going to do that. Remember? Remember, Dad? Um, or Nora, she knows her birthday's coming up. And so often, she'll wake up and say, It's today my birthday? It's coming. And as we say things and think that, okay, we might happen, we're unsure, we're not... They cling to it, and they're like, this is truth, 100%. (laughs) This is what mom and dad said. And we have something more sure than any comment of a parent. We have the words of Christ himself. And so we can find rest. We can find security and safety in the words of Christ and really in the word of God that it will come to pass. But that's also a warning for us because if, every word of Christ will come to fruition, then those words of judgment and warning will come to pass as well. There's no, well, I'm just going to remember the good things and forget about the difficult things. No, what he promises in blessing and in judgment will come to pass. So we must be preparing, being vigilant, and trust that what Christ says will happen. So Christ's words will come to pass. And then lastly here, as we think of being vigilant waiting for the unknown timing of Christ's return, the disciples must be on the lookout. And as the disciples are called, Jesus wraps up this teaching and he says, to all must be on the lookout to stay awake. So verse 32, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. So here he really summarizes everything in these previous paragraphs about the destruction of the temple and the coming of the son of man. There are Hence, there are things that tip us off, but yet when all these things begin, we don't know. Jesus says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. No one knows. So he's talking about any human. No one knows. And he says, not even the angels in heaven. So he, he goes up a level. So he starts at humans, mankind. And he says, not even angels know. These beings that are spiritual and are in the presence of God, they don't even know when all this will start, will come to pass. And then he says this, nor the Son, in reference to himself, but only the Father. So no one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So there's some question here. This is like, thanks Jesus for putting this in, you know, within three verses of each other, a few of these difficult verses. (laughs) Jesus here says, no one, man, or woman knows the hour. That's easy. Angels don't know the hour. They're created beings, subservient so to God. They don't know the hour. But then he says, nor the son, speaking of himself. Now, let me make this clear. We understand Jesus to be 100% God and 100% man. Two natures in one body. Coexisting, but yet not mixing. And that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. And so as we know that Jesus is God, he has every aspect, every part of God that the Father is that he is. right? He is completely, fully, 100% very God of very God, light of light, uh, says in the Nicene Creed, truly God. But we also understand that in Jesus there is his human nature. In his human nature, he exemplifies humanity as you and I do. To where he would not know, in his human nature, the mind of the Father. And so as in his human nature, he would not know the timing that the Father has set. But only the Father. So what is this reference here? It references the fact that even Jesus himself is submitting himself to the Father. And he's done this throughout his ministry. And he will continue to do this. Not my will, but your will be done, Father right? He did not count equality with the Father, or with God, a thing to be grasped or to be hung onto, but came and took on humanity. So this demonstrates again Jesus's willing humility and subjection to the will of the Father. So you and I don't know the day or the hour. No one knows the day or the hour of when these things will take place. There was a classic book that has become the butt of many jokes. Uh, I remember at Bible College and uh, among people who are interested in end times things, uh, it was entitled, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And then the second edition, 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1989. I don't know if that was, the second one was really a book, but the point was the foolishness that this individual who wrote that book thought that they could pinpoint the return of Christ to 1988. Um, No one knows the day or the hour. No one does. And as we've read here, we see how there are some things that we might think would lend themselves to be the coming of Christ, but yet Jesus says, don't be led astray. Don't be caught up in the hysteria. Remember to be faithful. These are some things that you can see and understand, but the bigger point is that you Remain faithful to me as my disciples. Don't try and piece together and figure out like it's a <coughs> excuse me, like it's a board game, that you're trying to deduce all these clues and say, "I figured it out. This is my answer. But rather, be vigilant. Wait. And then he uses, uh, in verse 33, he says, "But be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Be on guard. Keep awake, and this is, he uses this again and again here. Stay awake, be on guard. He's referenced it earlier in the chapter. He says, for you do not know when the time will come. And he uses this illustration. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. So this master leaves and says, you all have jobs to do. Do those jobs. Doorkeeper, your job is to be on the lookout and watch for me in my return. Stay awake. Verse 35, therefore, stay awake. He uses that phrase again. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or in the rooster crows or in the morning. And Jesus demonstrates the unknown return by referencing these four watches of the night. In the the Roman mind, you have uh, in the evening, that would be nine o'clock, midnight, Three, when the rooster crows are in the morning. Six, you have these different watches in, in the night, basically three hour chunks. But no one usually came in the night because it was dangerous to travel at night. So Jesus is referencing these time frames to show the unexpectedness of Christ's return. Verse 36, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. There's a little foreshadowing here by Jesus. What does Jesus find the disciples doing in the Garden of Eden? or not our Garden of Eden, Garden of Gethsemane. He's sleeping. And what does he tell them to do? Stay awake, pray, be vigilant. So we also see a foreshadowing here uh, of that already. But Jesus uses this illustration of a master leaving and leaving responsibilities for his servants and the doorkeepers to stay awake and be watching for the master to come, fulfilling your roles and responsibilities, doing what you need to be doing. Doing what you need to be doing when the master is gone. As uh, growing up and different responsibilities as I started to have jobs working with teenagers, there was a tendency when our boss or direct supervisor would leave that productivity would drop off a little bit. None of you have ever experienced that before, right? You're working maybe in a team or in a group, and the boss or the manager leaves for a while, and all of a sudden it's, okay, kind of relaxed now. And, and then all of a sudden, oh, they're coming, quick, back to work. Uh, a few jobs that I had in high school lend themselves to that because we had a couple of people overseeing large groups of people, different things that we were doing. What Jesus says here is as his disciples are left here, as he leaves and as he is going to be returning Do not be caught off guard. Do not be caught unaware. Do not be caught doing something that you're not supposed to be doing or sleeping. Be awake. Be vigilant. Verse 37, and this is how Jesus kind of ties this together. He says, and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is not only aimed at the disciples, but at everyone who would come after them. Stay awake. Stay awake. Awake, one author said. This Paul encourages the Corinthians to be alert, which is defined as standing firm in the faith, being strong and courageous, and doing everything in love. Preparation for Christ's return is not about calculating the date of Armageddon or linking world events to the fulfillment of biblical prophecies. Is it about? It is. Excuse me. It is about letting our spiritual light shine by bearing the fruit. Of the Spirit. I think this is so important for us. Jesus wraps up his teaching here and he says, stay awake, be on guard, be ready, be prepared. Jesus isn't going to be asking, okay, have you figured out exactly everything that I was just foretelling? And oh, you got it right, here I am. No, Jesus is going to be coming back and he would look and say, how have you used the time? How have you redeemed the time? Have you been faithful? Were you faithful? Were you seeking to be spiritual lights as preparing others for my return? By bearing fruit of the spirit of of conducting yourself in a way that brought the Father glory in heaven. This is important. One author said this, watch is the final and most important word of this Olivet Discourse. The point of Mark 13 is not so much to inform as to admonish, not to provide knowledge of arcane matters, but to instill obedience in believers. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. This designates a wider audience than the 12. This is the word of Jesus to the disciples, the word of Mark to his readers, and the word of the Spirit to believers in every age. The end is unknown and will come suddenly. Live in constant readiness. Live in constant readiness. Don't fall asleep. Be on guard. Be vigilant. Doing what you need to be doing. I think this is interesting how Jesus wraps this up here. This section going back to Mark chapter 11 and his entry into the temple where he teaches and he discusses with the Pharisees and the rulers about what it means, in a sense, to be a follower of God, to be a true disciple. To not be caught up in all these other things and these false religious discussions, but to have a heart that is set upon God and to live for him, demonstrated ultimately in the, in the widow and her giving of the might versus those who proudly gave, those, those scribes who were all about themselves. And then this discussion of, What's going to happen? And Jesus says, these different things will be happening and you'll see them and they will take place. But amongst all of that, you need to be on guard and to be vigilant. Don't miss the forest among the trees. Understand that I am coming back. That there will be a day when judgment will be brought. When everyone will give an account for how they lived their lives, for what they did with the gospel. And so be on guard, be vigilant, and to be faithful in the midst of the unknown. Be faithful in the midst of the unknown, in the dangerous, in the persecution, in the ups and downs of life. Watch, be vigilant, be faithful. For one day, he will return. One day he will come back and he will set up his kingdom. And one day the heavens and the earth will pass and there will be new heavens and new earth forever. But the word of Christ will remain. The word of God will remain. God's glory will be revealed. Christ's words will come to pass. And you and I must be on the lookout, must be vigilant, must be awake, proclaiming, and teaching and living our lives for the glory of God. Father, we thank you for the opportunity again to look at your word and just the final reminders here from Mark 13 of of us wanting to know things, trying to fit things together, which is good to seek to understand Scripture, but also, Lord, that we would trust your timing and your plan, that it may not fit according to how exactly we think, And as we may want to know, Lord, you don't reveal it to us. I pray that you would give us humility. I pray that you would give us patience. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be vigilant as we wait, as we live our lives bringing honor and glory to you. And as we would call other people to Christ, call them to salvation because one day, one day you will return. Judgment is coming. I pray that we would warn those who need to hear. Lord, we love you, We give you thanks, and we pray that you help us be faithful, help us be vigilant as we seek to worship and serve you. We pray in your son's name.